This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of ethics in orthopedic practice from the basic science section on orthobullets.com. In this episode, we'll go over relations with industry and hospitals, patient satisfaction and complaints, medical innovation, patient transfer, physician advertising, diversity, and access to healthcare. Starting with relations with industry and hospitals, let's talk about some acceptable standards of professionalism. Remember that practicing orthopedic surgeons may accept tuition, travel, and modest hospitality, including meals and receptions, to attend an industry-sponsored non-CME course given at a local convention center. Keep in mind that industry relationships must be disclosed to patients, colleagues, and institutions. Gifts must have a market value under $100. No direct kickbacks can be given to a physician or hospital system from an industry. Also remember that physicians cannot refer patients to centers in which they have a financial interest, per the Stark II laws. Now let's talk about patient satisfaction and complaints. So in terms of patient complaints, a formal written patient complaint regarding quality of care requires letters of response to patients from the surgeon. Now let's talk about communication. So communication is the leading cause of medical litigation. On average, most doctors interrupt patients during an interview within 23 seconds. Orthopedic surgeons are described by patients and colleagues as, quote, high-tech but low-touch. Orthopedic surgeons are described as having poor communication skills and empathy for patients. Now, under the topic of communication, let's quickly talk about translation services. So translation services can be provided by employees fluent in the language, commercially available telephonic services, professional interpreters, and volunteer translators. Keep in mind that it's inappropriate for family members to act as translators unless the patients offer slash agree. Moving on to medical innovation, in terms of royalties, surgeons receiving royalties for implants used in surgery must be disclosed to patients. Next, let's talk about patient transfer. So the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act states that all patients must be appropriately screened and stabilized in the original emergency room slash hospital. Risk of patient transfer must be less than the risk of keeping the patient. Finally, remember that the accepting hospital slash center must know of and accept the patient. Now let's talk about physician advertising. So physician advertising is becoming more common. The AMA and the AOS cannot prevent physicians from advertising services. The FTC, the AOS, and state medical boards can sanction for false advertising, however. Things to avoid include using terms such as cure if no cure truly exists, using terms such as, quote, painless or, quote, bloodless to describe surgery, overstating credentials such as board-certified in joint replacement if no such qualification exists, and using terms such as world-renowned. Moving on to diversity, know that understanding cultural differences leads to enhanced patient-physician relationships, minimized disparities in healthcare, and optimized access to orthopedic care. Keep in mind that implicit biases are present when an unconscious prejudice or stereotype influences care delivered to patients. Keep in mind that implicit biases are a determinant of health disparities. Finally, let's end this review session talking about access to healthcare. So remember that type of health insurance has been shown to be a determinant of healthcare access in the pediatric population. Finally, just a word about physician burnout. This consists of loss of enthusiasm for work, feelings of cynicism, and diminished feelings of personal accomplishment. This affects 45 to 55% of all U.S. physicians. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. 
You are staffing the prison clinic in a large public hospital when a 55-year-old African-American male presents complaining of severe right hip pain. His pain has been ongoing for the past five years and limits his ambulation. He has never used medications for pain control or physical therapy. A radiograph reveals severe arthrosis of the right hip. The left hip demonstrates moderate disease. When formulating his treatment plan, it's important to 1. Guarantee the success of total hip arthroplasty. 2. Recommend simultaneous bilateral total hip arthroplasty. 3. Understand the role of implicit bias as a determinant of healthcare delivery disparity. 4. Request the patient reveal the reason for his incarceration. And 5. Suggest referral to a pain management clinic. The correct answer to this question is 3. Understand the role of implicit bias as a determinant of healthcare delivery disparity. So the patient is an African-American male prisoner with symptomatic right hip osteoarthritis. When formulating a treatment plan, it's important to understand the role of physician implicit bias in delivery of care and in creating disparities in healthcare delivery. Physician bias, prejudice, discrimination, and clinical uncertainty are all factors that contribute to healthcare disparities in the United States. Implicit and explicit attitudes are cognitive traits that influence physician delivery of care, and sometimes these attitudes do not perfectly correspond. It's important for a physician to understand that their implicit attitudes about a patient may unintentionally influence care despite their explicit attitudes. Physicians should be aware of their implicit biases in order to provide more effective decision-making and quality of care. Stone et al. write about the issue of culturally competent delivery of care and the avoidance of unconscious bias in medical decision-making. They argue that because unconscious stereotypes and prejudices can trigger biased medical decisions against specific groups, leading to the creation of differential diagnoses, disparities in treatment, and causing minorities to feel uncomfortable with seeking or complying with treatment plans. The authors suggest the integration of cultural competency training into medical education in order to help understand the perspective of the minority group patient. Sabin et al. compared the implicit and explicit biases of physicians with respect to race, gender, and age. They found that medical doctors showed an implicit bias of preferentially caring for white Americans relative to black Americans, independent of the doctor's self-report or explicit biases. Doctors' implicit biases exceeded their explicit biases in all race groups studied, except for African-American physicians who did not show an implicit bias towards patients. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, guaranteed the success of total hip arthroplasty is incorrect, as while total hip arthroplasty has a high rate of success for osteoarthritis, it's important to avoid making guarantees of success. Answer 2, recommend simultaneous bilateral total hip arthroplasty is incorrect, as the patient has symptomatic right hip osteoarthritis. Radiographically, he has severe right hip osteoarthritis with mild to moderate disease in the left hip. Left hip arthroplasty is not indicated in an asymptomatic hip. Answer 4, request the patient reveal the reason for his incarceration is incorrect as requesting that the patient reveal the reason for incarceration may reveal or contribute to the physician's implicit biases. Care should be taken during this conversation in order to uphold a high quality of care. Finally, answer 5, suggest referral to a pain management clinic is incorrect as the patient has known osteoarthritis, which has a surgical solution as well as several non-operative modalities that have not yet been attempted. Referral to pain management at this point in the discussion is not appropriate at this time. Moving on to the next question. Your colleague, a general surgeon in your practice, brings his mother-in-law to see you for hip pain. You diagnose her with end-stage hip osteoarthritis and wish to discuss surgical options. She does not speak English. Interpretation should be provided by, and the choices are 1. Certified translator, 
Two, patient's husband. Three, your colleague. Four, patient care advocate fluent in the same language as the patient. And five, nurse fluent in the same language as the patient. The correct answer to this question is one certified translator. So family members should not be involved with translation for reasons of confidentiality. This is especially true if the patient specifically requests professional translation services. For patients who have limited English proficiency, translation can be performed by employees fluent in English and a second language, commercial telephonic services, professional translators, or volunteer translators. It is inappropriate for family members to act as translators for reasons of confidentiality unless the patient offers or agrees. For medical legal reasons, certified translators, telephonic or on-site, are preferred. Tung et al. reviewed communication skills. They state that the Office for Civil Rights requires physicians who receive reimbursement from Medicaid and Medicare Part A to have competent translation services for all patients who have limited English proficiency, and this constitutes, quote, federal financial assistance. Kaz et al. defined three communication barriers between orthopedists and patients. One, everyday communication skills must be acquired to effectively interact with patients. Two, there is a growing language divide between patients and physicians who do not share a common language. And three, cultural competency issues lead to distrust that can adversely affect patient outcomes. And moving on to the final question, which of the following best describes the benefits of implementing diversity and cultural competency in orthopedic training programs? And the choices are one, incorporating foreign languages in the residency curriculum to improve communication with members of diverse backgrounds. Two, teaching the social stereotypes of diverse cultures to improve the delivery of healthcare. Three, establishing racial and gender enrollment quotas in residency programs to better serve all members of the community. Four, enhancing trainees' knowledge of diverse cultures to improve patient-physician relationships, optimize patient access to orthopedic care, and enhance the quality and delivery of care. And five, promoting orthopedic trainees to travel to other countries to obtain surgical experience in different cultures. The correct answer to this question is four, enhancing trainees' knowledge of diverse cultures to improve patient-physician relationships, optimize patient access to orthopedic care, and enhance the quality and delivery of care. So the goals of diversity and cultural competency in orthopedic training is to enhance the knowledge of patient-physician relationships in diverse cultural groups so to improve access and quality of orthopedic care. There is increasing cultural diversity within our populations. The ability to better serve a heterogeneous population relies on the ability to enhance the knowledge of patient-physician relationships so that people of all backgrounds can better access and benefit from the healthcare system. White et al. examined the need for diversity in orthopedics. For example, African Americans have higher infant mortality rates, shorter life expectancies, fewer joint replacements, and more amputations than Caucasians. It was concluded that cultural competency in orthopedics is good for patients and for the country. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, incorporating languages into an orthopedic curriculum would only benefit a small subpopulation of patients and isolate many others. Answer 2, teaching social stereotypes of diverse cultures can be viewed as discriminatory towards those groups. Answer 3. While healthcare facilities with diverse staff are more likely to influence and successfully treat a nation's diverse population, quotas of racial and gender backgrounds in orthopedic residency will not entirely address the complete cultural competency that is required of every orthopedic surgeon. And finally, answer 5. Promoting orthopedic trainees to travel to other countries to obtain surgical experience in different cultures is incorrect, as traveling to isolated countries will not give residents a complete understanding of cultural diversity. 
That's all for this review about ethics in orthopedic practice. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.